Hello there everyone and welcome to episode 11 of season 3 for Psyched to be with you. This episode's guest is none other than the wonderful Dr. Hannah Slack, a postdoctoral researcher from King's College London, working on the You Belong project and researching areas such as student loneliness, mental health, agency and so much more. Alongside all of this, we tackle a number of issues including moving beyond a PhD, making your own wedding dress for a textiles exam and a boatload more. This was a wonderful chat and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. As ever, all the links you need to follow my guests and support the show are attached to wherever you found this episode. Enjoy. Hello there everyone and welcome back to Psyched to be with you with me your host Christopher Leach aka Chimp195. I've got an absolute swashbuckling episode lined up for you today with another fantastic guest episode 11 penultimate episode of season three i've been doing it that long now um here we are um it's just let's just get stuck in i'm buzzing i hope you're buzzing let's do it my very special guest if you could please introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do hi everyone my name is hannah slack i am a postdoc in student loneliness at king's college london um so in a lot of my research, I tend to specialize in psychometric scale development, although my background is in experimental psychology and agency research, and I'm also a very keen science communicator, hence why I'm here. So there is loads for us to delve into, to unpack, to to devour during this episode, so I'm conscious to get started. So let's go straight from the top. Postdoc, for those that don't mm-hmm. know, means postdoctoral. Or postdoctorate, one of those. Um, so it means you are PhD, presumably. Yeah, that's correct. Got my PhD in May was my viva, although I like to forget it. <laughs> uh, okay, so take us through your journey then, because obviously, like your know, agency research, loneliness, my psychology brain mm-hmm. can see how that kind of works out. But take us back to the start. What got you into this? How did you get to where you are yeah. now? Yeah, to the very beginning. So my PhD, as I said, was in agency research. So I was doing online experiments, so behavioral experiments with teenagers. So for those who don't know, um, agency, or rather your sense of agency, is your awareness of your control over your actions and the consequences of those actions. And I was looking at it at a very basic level. So, for example, when you turn on a a light switch, you then start looking at the light bulb and you expect the light bulb to turn on. When it does eventually turn on, you then know it turned on because you clicked the light switch. So it's that causal effect relationship and your knowledge that you are the one that made it happen. So I was looking at how that develops in teenagers because it, it was an area that hadn't really been looked at before. A lot of the time in developmental psychology, we spend a lot of time focusing on children and then adults. And we kind of assume that one day they just kind of wake up and suddenly the child has become an adult. Um, A lot of the time we kind of forget the bit in the middle. So that's where my research came in. So I was mainly looking at agency at quite this basic sensory level, as I said. So whether the brain recognizes that it's made an action and a consequence has arisen from that action. But you can take it a step further and think about a more higher order level of agency. 
And that's where, for example, if the light bulb didn't turn on, your brain might then start to theorize why that might be the case. So is the light bulb broken? Did I click the wrong switch? Am I capable of turning on a light switch in this example? <laughs> it depends on the so, day, am I right? Like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but it can also be more like, I don't know, personality, like higher, even higher level questions. Like, do I have the power to go to university if I want to? Do I have the agency to do those things? Am I in control of my life uh, and the actions that I choose to make and what happens to me? And that's kind of where things intersected with well-being, because if you have a lack of agency, then that can lead to feelings of helplessness, uh, which is where you get um, feelings of depression uh, and all that jazz. So alongside my PhD, I also had the pleasure of volunteering as a, um, what was my, what was my title, a peer supporter for Student Minds. So I ran peer support groups, which was amazing. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But essentially, these peer support groups were for students who experienced anxiety and low mood. And I got to meet a lot of different students and also see the variety of challenges that students come across uh, just through going throughout their course. And that kind of turned on my interest to student research and also kind of what inspired me to pursue this for a postdoc. Um, and I would like to return to agency research because I think when students are starting their course, often they're moving to a completely new city and they're exploring what can they do on their own. So this might be their first time kind of outside of their family home, away from their parents. So I think there's definitely a crossover. Uh, and more generally, I've always been interested in mental health and well-being research. So it's kind of a roundabout way of how I ended up here. I mean, wow, <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Um, I mean, agency is something I find fascinating. It's it's so philosophical, um, you know, because mm -hmm. I, I feel like listeners will, will have had, you, you enter a room, you flick on a light switch, it doesn't come on, you know, like you flick it again. And like just that, that thought process of, all the things that your brain will come up with to try and essentially rationalize like can i turn the light switch <laughs> on like you know is so beautifully existential um which is what i love about that so that's i mean kudos for researching that because i mean that that's a philosophical quagmire like were you asked mm -hmm. i don't i don't want to bring up any unpleasant memories but was there not a point in your life where you're like so what what if like free will doesn't exist though what if you don't have agency yeah, it can it can get uh, like when I used to go to like conferences or speak to other PhD students, it can get very deep, very quick. And I used to kind of because there are these two levels to agency. So I mentioned that I looked at like the lower level, like does the brain actually register the sensory signals coming in, like the light signals from the light bulb? And then there's that higher order sense where your brain starts trying to rationalize things. I kind of give a bit of a, like a cop-out answer every time, you know, and I think you're allowed to when you're still a PhD student of saying like, no, 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 I look at the lower level. Like I'm leaving the rest for the philosophers to kind of, you know, sit around and talk about like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm interested in the brain. 
um but yeah definitely i think it does link to those to those interesting deep questions and it creates a, a quite a nice uh, a synergy with the kind of work i'm doing which is on student sort of mental mm -hmm. health and video games what i'm sort of very interested in or almost agency i think could feed into it because i'm interested in the choices people make and why they make them within a game's context mm -hmm. right and what might uh, influence those type of things so there's a really neat overlap because um obviously i've not I've done no official findings asterisks asterisks quotation marks <laughs> legal protection um but people when people start playing a game they seem to very much think that they're on a linear path right even when they have choices they feel mm -hmm. like they might be inconsequential and like that feeling very much affects agency people go well i, did, I didn't matter so i'll just start clicking through to get to the end of the game and you might be like okay but your choices mm. did matter and they go what <laughs> and are quite yeah. dismayed with that um mm. so yeah i'm color me invested i'm interested um i, I, yeah, I want to quite... peel back the onion a little bit further though what what yeah. got you into psychology what was your undergraduate in like you because know, everyone has mm -hmm. that really cute fun story of the moment i was inspired what's yours yeah, well, if we want the moment I was inspired, we need to go back a bit further. Um, so actually, this sounds a little bit crazy, but when I was in high school, you know, like we were asking each other, what do you want to be? And I already straight out the gate was like, I want a doctorate in psychology. <laughs> I want to be a doctor of psychology. Like I'd already got my PhD in my head. Like I knew I wanted to be like researching Um probably something related to mental health and I kind of got there in the end in a roundabout way um but when people ask me why I always said it was because you know every thought and feeling that we're kind of having is at least some level links to whatever neurons are firing off in our heads and whatever's happening up there being a lot older and wiser I know that there's a lot more to the story but that was the basic idea that kind of set me down that path um, and then I had like amazing A-level teachers as well for psychology, which inspired me further. And then, yep, so my undergrad was in psychology and cognitive neuroscience, which sounds very fancy, but it was just psychology with a bit of brain stuff added in. Just, just um, a bit of brain stuff, you know, casual. Yeah, casual, casual. <laughs> um, yeah, and I really enjoyed that. I had an amazing personal tutor um emma she was amazing and really helped to inspire me honestly to become an academic because i'd already as i said decided that this was the path that i wanted to go down but i mean there's a lot there's a big time difference between actually like being in high school and then applying for a phd and kind of starting the academic journey um into like being a researcher um, so I could have shifted from that anytime, but I think seeing uh, academics like Emma really kept me on that path because I honestly thought to myself, I want to be somebody's Emma one day. Mm. So she was my personal tutor and she was always very supportive um, and honestly just like a rock to come back to, like when things got really, really stressful. Um, it was nice to, you know, have someone kind of on your side. Um, so, yeah, I just decided that that was the kind of academic that I wanted to be, you know, someone fighting in the student's corner. And now I actually am a personal tutor. So 
I have eight amazing tutees. And I even emailed Emma like, Emma, I'm a, I'm a personal tutor now. I'm being you finally. <laughs> and it was very cute. So this, this I is, suppose all of that together. <laughs> this is perhaps a spicy question. And I, I apologize for that. Um, but like, you know, did the reality live up to the dream, especially with the kind of turmoil academia as an industry finds itself in with the numerous strikes over the past few years and things like this i'm especially interested as someone who has transitioned from phd to postdoc um mm -hmm. given given the in my opinion rough treatment of phd uh researchers yeah if you'd asked me during my PhD research when I was like, you know, in the thick of it, maybe you would have got a different answer, um, especially when COVID hit, because that was a rough time for sure. Um, but nowadays, especially with starting the postdoc, um, I think, I think, I yes, because, you know, you get asked, what would you do if you could do anything else? Um, and I think I would honestly still be on this path. Um, I think any job that you have will have its downsides, uh, apart from maybe like video game tester or like person that runs like I, a I cat know, cafe or I know something. Several people who work in QA that will tell you that it's not it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. That's the thing then that that proves proves the point. Um, any job that you have will have downsides. Um, I mean, academia certainly does, but. I think I've always been a person that I recognized that I had like um, skills in like mathematics and coding. So um, I'm quite, you know, not to toot my own horn, I'm quite good at <laughs> computer programming. Um, and I thought if I have these skills, I'd rather put them to good use rather than go and work in a business, kind of helping a company improve their profit margins and stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, I I want to help people where I can, honestly. No one, no one like, tell Dr. Slack that universities are businesses. Controversial opinion. Well, That's a joke. <laughs> I apologize. You we yeah. like you you Dr. Slack starts sitting there going, Why did I agree to do this show? He's now turned evil. <laughs> like all in jest. All in jest. Um mm -hmm. I'm kind of interested to touch on the mental health stuff just again out of interest and apologies if this sounds like an adversarial question, but one of the things that I you know frequently sort of face within the research is the kind of uh nuance of evidence now i i firmly sort of put myself on the social sort of continuum side of things in relation to impacts to mental health but being more neuroscience uh in your your own experience where do you sit on the medical versus social kind of debate yeah excellent question so well I've kind of posed myself as a neuroscientist now, and that was true up until very recently. So like when I started my undergrad, I remember kind of almost turning my nose up at social psychology because, you know, it's not the brain. It's not fun. <laughs> um, but as I say, being more older and wiser, um, I'm now realizing that, you know, our mental health and even us as individuals don't exist in a vacuum. You know, we interact with other people and more important, well, equally as important, the systems that we find ourselves in. So the way that society is structured, but also uh, the kind of institutions and um, services that we have access to and the different ways uh, that we may or may not have access to those different 
things and all of that is kind of like the way that society affects us um so i would say it is both and also there is something to be said about social approaches to mental health support so i mentioned that i'd previously volunteered as a peer mentor for student minds and that isn't something that students would you know go through the medical system like go through the nhs to be um prescribed to that's something that they could just come to themselves and it was just a space for them to meet with other students and just talk about their experiences and i think there's something to be said for those kind of low-level social approaches um because i think the medical model can often shift a lot of the blame onto the individual and say well this is something that you have to sort out because it's a problem with you and it kind of ignores that it might be something to do with the kind of wider social and systematic issues that are impacting on that person so yeah i think we need to think about how we can help the kind of system around the person as well that was a kind of roundabout answer but uh, I hope i'm, I'm an being answer incredibly in cheeky <laughs> i can only apologize uh i also would like to declare for listeners benefit that you are sitting there with your beautiful branded university background on uh, and things like that maybe should have turned that off um so you know well well answered uh as i say full just just out of interest uh, I, I mean not to to trip you up or anything um that's an interesting question I'm also interested in sort of like is there anything that sort of you're you're working on presently that you can sort of tell us about or uh, any other sort of pieces of work that you'd like to note just sort of, you know, while we're chatting? Yeah, definitely. So um, as I mentioned, I am a postdoc at King's College London, and more specifically, I am working on a research project called You Belong. So at You Belong, we are interested in social connection sense of belonging and loneliness in first year undergraduate students as they're making this transition from high school to university. Um, and at the minute, we're actually running a longitudinal survey that aims to kind of look at what kind of factors in the student's life might be impacting on uh, the rate to which they feel loneliness and how the influence of those factors might change over time. Um, so it's a longitudinal survey. It has two different time points for data collection. The first being now, um, so around September and October when we're filming this. And so that's when they haven't really had much uh, university education to kind of inform any expectations that they might have around making friends and uh, you know, how they're going to feel about university. And then the second time point is going to be in January and February. So after they've had a full semester to find out what university is all about mm. and experience whatever that might be. Uh, and yeah, then we're going to compare um, how changes in these different variables might have affected the rate at which they feel loneliness, but also a sense of belonging at university. Yeah, and ultimately our goal is to inform university leaders, but also other researchers, so that we can create more positive social experiences 
for students and ultimately create a community where they can all feel like they belong at university. I mean, I can put my That's old, a kind of business pitch. <laughs> I can put my old outreach hat on and sort of, you know, I, I was nodding along there. You know, we know that, that belonging and, and community is very important for things like retention, keeping students at university. Um, and, you know, if, if, if you're doing well, you'll have a better time. You'll, you know what I mean? If, if you feel that you're excited to go to class, you'll go to class, you'll learn more and sort of the feedback loop repeats, yeah. right? Um, obviously. Yeah, definitely. In kind of the world of research, it'd be great if you could charter them prior to university to then measure a change once they start as well, right? That'd be cool. Um, yeah, definitely. So from my understanding, that is what our principal investigator, our PI, so the head of the project, originally planned. Um, but that's not ultimately what got funded. So we're doing the next best thing and catching them as soon as they start university. So, yeah, I agree with you in an ideal world. Uh, we would catch them while they're still, you know, thinking about their university options and really starting to think about what university life would be like. But maybe for a future project. <laughs> well, I used to work for the uh, National Collaborative Outreach Programme or UniConnect as it got rebranded to. And that was charting school age learners through to further education up to the point of higher education. And it was trying to do that much more heavy, longitudinal sort of processing look at skills building aspirations because to, to tie things back you're talking about agency of like can i go to university there are a lot of people particularly from lower socioeconomic areas or you know things like this where they don't feel that they can and actually that's a huge barrier mm -hmm. when you know the system is kind of built in some ways to assist as much as possible to allow people to go to uni and you know i i would always advocate to go to uni i'm i i feel like i learned a lot about myself as much as my course through that process. I understand it's not needed for every career, totally respect that, but I think some of the uh, additional skills, the social skills, the general sort of like critical thinking and things like this are really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a first gen person, so no one in my family went to uni, um, but I think, you know, like when I compare myself like people from my village who didn't go I think it teaches you a lot about independence so like we're speaking about agency it taught me a lot about what I can do on my own because it is it's quite a unique experience in that not always because not everyone moves away from their parents for uni but a lot of people do and you know I think that that is a really great experience because it really makes you because you know you're the one that's kind of organizing all your appointments if there is a problem you have to be the one to sort it out um so yeah it definitely teaches you a lot of additional skills beyond you know the bit of paper that you get at the end this is this is like just sort of came to me but it kind of feeds into like our agency and sort of critical thinking discussion i kind of i have to give my head a wobble sometimes and you look at certain things on social media that and i won't, I won't name names but people are like are you aware of what the system are doing? The, the the media is telling you things. You should have critical thinking and believe what I say instead. And like anyone with any critical thinking skills will tell you, okay, but if you apply critical thinking, you'll know that they're also telling you utter nonsense also. Like, yeah, like, that's it. <laughs> and like, you know, I, I feel like 
if you have the agency to choose what you believe to some degree, like, why would you just, like, why believe the first person who's like, wait a minute, don't listen to them, listen to, you can trust me, I'm 100% reliable, now just please enter your credit card number. Yeah, exactly, yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, university, and especially, I mean, this is probably true in others, but in science, we get taught a lot to look at, like, the credibility of the sources, and it's probably the same in the other faculties as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's definitely one of the most important things that university can teach you. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking as well, I think um, obviously you were looking at uh, teenagers as well. I think that's fascinating because especially as you enter that phase of life where you maybe move away from home but even if you in the uk legally hit 18 you consider an adult right so like you you mm-hmm. then have a lot more agency um education is very prescriptive up until the point you're 18 right like maybe in college further education you'll have a couple of free periods and things like this but because you are very prescriptive you don't really have agency like when you're in school you have maybe mm-hmm. like two hours to do what you want to do before you went to bed Mm-hmm. yeah as, definitely as opposed to like yeah you know, when you're a phd you can work whenever you want basically because <laughs> there's no one really yeah. monitoring that yeah definitely and there's there's quite a bit of literature that's talking about you know this time of um adolescence where they are offered a lot more choice um and you know there's stuff to say that in their decision-making, teenagers are actually uniquely suited to reacting to novels and like new information, even much so better than adults who, you know, adults are kind of a bit more stuck in their ways and will react to things similar to how, how it relates to what they've seen before, kind of stuck in their ways. Whereas the literature says that teenagers um, are a bit more open to new experiences and a bit more ready to... Um, yeah move away from the teachings of their parents because even if they don't move to university it may be that you know they've been told one uh, opinion about a certain topic for example and this is maybe a time where they're starting to question what do they think and try to form their own identity and where they stand as an individual so yeah a very exciting time I mean, I wouldn't necessarily want to relive my time as a teenager, if I'm honest. Um, but yeah, like, same. <laughs> definitely, you know, you do you do really make a lot of growth, and I think, may, obviously, I'm saying this through my own biases, but I feel like the leap that I made as a person, as a human, between the ages of like say, thirteen to you know nineteen, was probably smaller than the stuff that I've done to like twenty to you know pushing thirty now. You know, I feel, I feel like that was a greater mm-hmm. leap. And I feel like a lot of people, because, you know, I, 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 I'm definitely pro-university. But I think, like, there's still that leap, I think, you make between 21 and 25. Where you may be like, you, mm-hmm. you might go on to do a master's, you might do a, a PhD. But, like, you know, when you get out there and, like, you have to manage your own bills and, like, it kind of, like, there's no safety net, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's almost like a a second well maybe a third transformative period if we're counting like childhood as like maybe the first um yeah oh, maybe it's like, just a like new... go go collect trauma deal with it later you know what i mean that's yeah. a joke that's a joke <laughs> um 
but yeah so maybe maybe in the future we'll start to think of it as like a, an additional developmental period uh like a, its own unique kind of window of development or like critical periods i think i think that'd be that'd be neat i would enjoy that personally mm-hmm. but I, i'm also of the mindset where like you know i, I never want to stop growing and i never want to stop learning i feel like if, if you reach that point um you know ignorance is the enemy of intelligence do you know what i mean uh that's very much yeah like definitely a, you know if, if you close yourself off to learning new things or hearing different perspectives you, you're not helping yourself i think that's half mm-hmm. of a nick cave quote somewhere but i'm not quite sure <laughs> yeah but it's definitely true though and i think there is a danger as you get older to kind of get settled into a routine especially as like maybe like you settle down buy a house start like a permanent career maybe like i'm speaking as a postdoc on a fixed term contract like you know <laughs> i can dream you know <laughs> um but yeah i think there is the danger of kind of getting closed off and not really keeping up with what's happening around you um i can definitely see that in some you know people in in my village you know who, who've lived in the village all their life and you know the world outside the village doesn't really matter as much because um, you kind of get settled into into your ways but yeah I think there's something always um, always good to be said about keeping yourself open to learning new information and seeing things from other people's perspectives that might even shake up your worldview I think as horrible as the pandemic was it was quite good for like giving us an opportunity to kind of reflect on where our lives were at and maybe like pick up a new hobby if we wanted to you know like reinvent a part of ourselves i mean i always like to say and, and you know i'm not i'm not the first to do so but from like a, a an equity point of view when speaking about disability like work from home is very accessible and these were things that were often mm-hmm. denied disabled people prior to the pandemic and then suddenly as soon as it mattered to business it mattered to everyone so everyone could work from home and suddenly work equipment was available and no one minded and you're seeing the kind of consequences of your forced returns to work and things like that now in, in sort of 2023 um and the kind of pushback which i think is really quite warranted so you know i'm not saying it was a good time but like we it definitely mm-hmm. taught us a lot um about yeah so yeah for sure and i guess that's like an example of previously where it was seen as like an individual an individualistic problem something for the individual to push for and try and sort out to then look at okay well how actually can we change the system and oh suddenly it is possible to you know implement these different um like hybrid working methods or working from home you know you know there is a way if you look at actually systematic change it's not all on the individual listen anyway we're chatting away i'm making you just chat about work this is meant to be a fun podcast <laughs> you know i i my problem is i get very fascinated by my guests and i'm just like tell me more tell me everything um but what do you like to get up to when you're not working if if at all that is possible i've had several guests that seemingly don't ever start working yeah i mean definitely postdoc life it can seem like that sometimes uh, especially um, when when your project's ongoing and you're kind of in the thick of it. But when I do get a spare moment, I am quite a, a keen crocheter. So I make a lot of like clothes. Uh, I also sew my own clothes as well. So that's always fun. 
Um, basically anything kind of like arts and crafts related, I'll probably have a go at. So I've recently picked up painting as well, which I am absolutely terrible at, but I have a fun time, which is what it's all about. <laughs> hey, I mean, if you've ever seen the joy of painting, you know, it's not about mistakes. We don't yeah, make mistakes, we have happy Bob accidents. You know? That's true. <laughs> Honestly, half the time when I'm painting, I just have that on loop in my head, like, no mistakes. <laughs> it's your world. Yeah. Do whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's that's what I tend to spend most of my time doing, filling up my wardrobe with uh, clothes that I've made, that I've crocheted or sewn. It's a lot of fun. Have you got any sort of garments that you're particularly sort of uh, proud of or, uh, or even anything like what type of painting have you been doing like watercolor oils mm -hmm. yeah so i can answer both those questions i'll start with the painting so here's a top tip if you are not good at painting which i am most definitely not do abstract painting because then you know <laughs> that little line that you did it was intentional it was artistic you know it, it represents a journey <laughs> Um, so yeah, I guess I specialize in abstract art, you know, air quotes. <laughs> um, and I started with watercolor painting, which uh, I've been told is one of the harder types of painting. But I mean, I quite liked it because everything just blends together and then you can't see that I didn't, you know, paint that line as straight as it could have been. <laughs> um, but I've, I've recently got some canvases uh, and tried you know, acrylic painting and different different types of branching out, mostly because I want to decorate my office a little bit, put up some motivational art, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been fun. Uh, and then what kind of um, garments have I made and are there any that I'm proud of? Um, so I have been making a cardigan for about a year and like, I just keep procrastinating on it and starting new projects, which is the story of my life, honestly. <laughs> I just get distracted by new new things or I see a new um a new pattern and think, oh, I've got to make that now. Um, but I, I think the garment that I'm most proud of uh is one that I actually made in high school. Um so in high school, so this isn't something that I crocheted because I, I hadn't discovered crochet at that point. I was still only sewing like on the machine um and I took textiles for GCSE and we were tasked with making a dress for an occasion and I don't know what was going through my teenage brain you know like well that could be said for a lot of my teenage years I suppose um we've all been there but yeah but something compels me to want to make a wedding dress and I remember my teacher's reaction um was like what you're not doing that you can't you don't have the skills there's no way you'll be able to do that and I was I don't know something about I think you know when you're a teenager someone telling you you can't do something that makes you want to do it all the more it so is I was like it is a, a a rag to to a raging bull you know like it, it's yeah. like a, okay allow me to try and disprove you and try and now do it even if I shall fail yeah so I made a wedding dress. I did it. And I think I was so motivated to do it just because she told me that I couldn't. So I was like, watch me, you know? Um, and yeah, so it had like a whole cape section because it was supposed to be inspired by nature. And I wanted it to be inspired by air such that 
when a person walks, it would like get caught by the air and kind of like flow a little bit. Um, and I also added like embroidery around the hem, just because I, I think part of that was inspired, just like you think I can't do it. Look, I've done it <laughs> and I'm going to do it so well. I'm putting little flowers on it. <laughs> I mean, I feel like my entire career has been fueled by caffeine and spite. So, you know. Yeah, I think that was setting me up well for the PhD. Very much so. <laughs> I mean, I've got, I've got to ask, like, what was the reception to it? What was what grade did you get? Like, did the teacher eat a slice of yeah. humble pie with a side of wedding dress? I wish I could tell the story and say that, you know, she was all like clapping her hands and so happy, but she was a bit of a battle axe, you know, <laughs> as a... As a... <laughs> And she she was a bit grumpy. I mean, even before this incident, she was a bit grumpy. So um, she gave me a B, and I'm still bitter. That is B for bitter, <laughs> you know, because because <laughs> yeah, I I think it deserved it. <laughs> I mean, you made a yeah, freaking wedding think... dress. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, and it had a whole cape section, you know, and and it like. I used two different kinds of material, one that was like kind of see-through because it was meant to be based on air and then one that was opaque, obviously. So it had like a short skirt that made out of the opaque material and then this like translucent material over the top. So I made two skirts, so essentially two dresses that went inside each other to be worn together and then a whole cape and then a whole train with flowers. I mean, so, yeah. I'm a big fan of you know. suits. And I feel like not enough suits make use of capes. I feel like we should all go back to wearing capes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like that's, that's a thing that is only going to enhance one's wear. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if it's your wedding day and you're getting all dressed up, you might as well, like, just, you know, rock it in a cape because, you know, it's meant to be your day where you're feeling fabulous. You might as well go whole hog and, and get a cape. <laughs> I mean, I, I um, want to feel fabulous on a Wednesday afternoon let alone my wedding day. Yes. I would I would legitimately just walk around the house in a cape if I had one. Yeah, definitely, actually. Yeah. Um yeah, maybe we should make make capes part of part of like high street fashion. We'll bring them bring them in. <laughs> if we know anyone that can make a successful TikTok, we'll 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 skyrocket. Yes, yes. The the Gen Z will be the answer. Usually. They'll be the ones that'll take it off one good tiktok take you're off aware. There. yeah make it go viral <laughs> so listeners if any of you have a tiktok and you want to model a cape make capes happen let's do it. hashtag make capes happen there we go <laughs> changing the world not only with research but with social moves as well yeah so changing the fashion world <laughs> <laughs> Have you so obviously like I think creative endeavors are great and I love creative endeavors but if you're anything like me uh, which you, you suggested you might be um, I sort of <laughs> cycle through hobbies um, I, and I imagine you might do it yourself have you sort of like read yeah. played listened to anything good recently watched even yeah yeah so um, I'm actually not to sound like I don't know bougie or whatever but I'm part of a book club. <laughs> that's not that bougie that's not that bougie people like to talk about books and such yeah uh well it's the first time i've been part of a book club so quite exciting um and recently we read um travis alabanza's none of the above so it's a memoir about travis's life as someone who is trans and i don't think it's necessarily a book that i would have picked up on my own 
but honestly like it's really well written and I found it really insightful to like a different perspective than my own and also like really humorous as well so like it was really like an enjoyable read um and it really stuck with me especially this one kind of story that Travis tells in the book and I think it's around about the third chapter um about this cis man named Steve um so Steve has been battling for years with whether or not he can paint his nails and you know he's had like conversations in bed with his wife about whether or not he can paint his nails for like going on years and you know Travis um talks about how this is such a mundane thing just painting your nails um you know why are you why is someone spending years and years of their like you know intimate bedroom time just talking about whether or not they feel like they have the agency bringing it back to you know paint their nails um and this really stuck with me because I think it illustrates that kind of this need that we have in society to constrain people into these binary boxes of like you know man woman um and then dictate kind of what behaviors you can do based on how you align with those boxes um that kind of thing can be damaging to all of us you know even like people that identify as cis in the case of Steve so yeah I thought that was a really good book and yeah people should check it out if they're interested yeah I mean you know if 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 you've been on the show with me before if you've listened to a call any pretty much any content that I've done I, I kind of I kind of fascinated and I find heteronormative kind of attitudes so interesting because I remember in developmental psychology sort of way back with this 10 years now but like talking about gender androgyny and how like you know the way it was framed back then was you know why can't boys play with dolls and girls play with tanks you know so still operating in a binary but like actually if we just if gender is a construct if you kind of throw it out the window um and let people kind of do what they want people might i don't know be happier um combined with you know being a cisgendered straight male you know uh through through life you kind of definitely see the way you know people are told to act that yeah something is simple as painting one's nails would be met with such critique and such uh responsiveness which i think is really interesting um across sort of the the spectrum if you will it's fascinating mm -hmm. and i just think like people are just so daft do you know what i mean like just if everyone was just like as long as you're not hurting yourself or others you do you boo love that like just champion each other yeah, instead absolutely. the world would be so much nicer yeah yeah absolutely and what i found so interesting like in addition about that story is the way that his wife reacted when he did actually paint his nails so when steve painted his nails um his wife was not happy and um actually spoke to travis and said like you're the reason he's done this you know and was quite angry um and travis described like what she was wearing to kind of like set the scene and like you know she was wearing trousers and i just remember thinking like you know years and years ago women wouldn't have been allowed to wear trousers and you know it's kind of like a double standard kind of um it's just the way that society and more importantly societal norms can change over time and yeah you need to be a bit more kind of recognizing that you know policing what other people do 
is ultimately damaging to all of us because it means that we all have restrictions put on put on our lives and yeah generally maybe it would be better if we all just stayed in our own lane ah if only uh, that were possible yeah <laughs> straight white able guys i'm just saying <laughs> just saying let's call anyone out but just saying um that was an awful kind of noise i have no idea what that was um, <laughs> I, 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 memo to edit that out i'm not gonna edit it out i'm gonna forget um <laughs> but yeah no i think i don't know i i just love learning i love i love trying to understand the world from different perspectives because i mean i know that mine is unique and so many elements bring that together um but i think that's good i think it's a cool thing like i love learning different things and even when you know i mean even in the uk different people from different places like you've mentioned like a village a few times and things like that like that mm -hmm. can have such a different you know, culture and vibe and sense to it from say like someone like myself from liverpool you know and just things like that and like i don't know people are so quick to ready themselves with pitchforks as opposed to like you know a nice beverage of your choice and just a chat you know yeah definitely i think there's so much that we can learn from just hearing people out and recognizing that people will come from different backgrounds to us and that's not necessarily something to be defensive about um that someone sharing their perspective isn't necessarily an attack on your perspective and your way that you see the world um it's one of my favorite things to do when i was at uni is uh, come home not only for you know like the free washing and the mum's cooking but also just to leave what was like a bustling city life um because i studied in nottingham which isn't the biggest city but it still counts as a, like a city uh and go back to my little hometown village and see the different kind of pace of life and how everything was a lot more relaxed and how like no one really cared like there is something quite nice about no one really um caring about um you know oh i have to submit this essay whatever like no one really cares about the rush of research or the rush of everything so i think you know village life is very nice and it's nice to see uh it's nice to kind of remind yourself that not everyone is so you know career focused and um rushing around all the time i mean that's why uh, escape to the country exists am i right <laughs> yeah <laughs> For international Definitely. listeners, Escape to the Country is a, a, a little bit of a bougie program. Uh, I forget which station it's on. I think BBC? I'm not quite sure. Um, where quite often, quite affluent people are like, oh, I'm done with city life. I'm going to take my half a million pound home and go and retire to the countryside. And you sort of go with a little estate agent and look at houses. It's all, it's all very bougie, but it's quite, you know, you see some nice countryside, you know. Um, yeah. But I think, is that not... This is just me chatting mints now, apologies. Um, but does that does that not speak to sort of the broader and yeah, yeah familiar listeners will get your bingo cards ready. Is that not a problem of the broader capitalistic system that we live in? Where like if you're in the city, well you've gotta be research focused because it's the next thing, it's the next paycheck, it's you know what I mean? Like that kind of broader system pressure that maybe affects one's own agency. See, I can synergize. Mm -hmm. Um as opposed to being like, oh, well, actually, like, let's sort of just take it easy because, you know, that's not as important. Like, having that perspective and the metric, thinking of psychometrics, that you measure your own success by are actually maybe more important than what you actually do. 
that yeah, wasn't definitely. that wasn't a question that was me just rambling i apologize <laughs> yeah well i i agree i agree with the ramble i think it was a great ramble <laughs> but yeah absolutely it's absolutely right and i think that was what was so nice about coming home to my parents and um my village because you know you kind of got for right or wrong, you kind of got told this, like, you know, your, especially during PhD, you know, your productivity is, you know, how many papers you can push out. Um, and, you know, all those lovely metrics that as researchers were told to kind of grade ourselves against. Um, but then it was nice coming back home where nobody cared if you'd written a, a single word that week, like it didn't matter. Um, they much more cared about like, almost like family values and like, um, you know, have you spent time with the the grandkids kind of thing, and um, which was quite nice. It's, it's nice more, to kind of more, be reminded. I'm going to say little C conservative values. You know, <laughs> not a capital. Yeah, but I guess more like the um, the wholesomeness of like. Um, I guess it's also a little bit nostalgic, I suppose, um, of just yeah, like visiting your grandparents um who you know they don't necessarily know what your job title is they just know like you know if, if I tell my nan that I'm a doctor I'm pretty sure she thinks I'm performing like open heart surgery like <laughs> which is not what I do um no telling yeah. you doing open brain surgery at least it's the right part of the body am I right yeah <laughs> well we're close <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's fascinating it's something that like I don't know I feel like goes round uh, my brain like trainers in a washing machine if you will um and i think mm -hmm. so let's let's take all this let's move on because I, I kind of maybe have a feeling that i know where you, your answer would go but one of my favorite questions on the show is if you had no limitations you had access to people time resource to unlimited quantities what's your one blue mm -hmm. sky idea that's quite a question. Um, I mean, opening a dog cafe would be amazing, but that's probably not the answer that I'm supposed to give, is it? Sign me <laughs> off. I would, yes. Sold. Yeah. I mean, that would probably come with a lot of challenges in and of itself. But, you know, I think that would be so much fun. I did once meet someone that wanted to open a cat cafe at, like, the bottom of the shop and then the top of the shop be a board game cafe, which sounds a bit chaotic, but lots of fun. I mean, um, the cats would love it. There'd be so much fun to knock over. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you'd have to, like, keep them separate or let them run around and embrace the chaos. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so speaking more, I was going to say realistically, but in this scenario, <laughs> anything's on the table. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'd still be so doing something similar to what I'm doing now. Um, ultimately because I do enjoy, uh, data science, working with numbers. Um, I often feel they're a bit like Sudoku puzzles, so it's just like getting stuck in with a problem and trying to find the answer. So that's something that I do enjoy. And I think that if I can do that whilst also having a positive impact on the world and on people and their mental health, then I think I will be a happy bean. So yeah, I think I'd still probably be doing what I'm doing now. 
would you, would you sort of see that as like running like a, a sort of for lack of a better term a kind of master project of you know a lifelong longitudinal study would it be like you know you you set up i don't know like a consultancy kind of business and you have people that like you know and trust to do work like what what does it look like what does it feel like mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think something longitudinal would be great because um, you do get a richer data set that way by following. Um, so if we're talking about students, for example, so following them throughout their career, um, career in academia, so like throughout their course. Also, I think it would definitely be a national project because like what I'm finding in my role uh, when I was trying to publicize this longitudinal survey that we're doing at the minute, I get quite a bit of pushback from universities I speak to because they want to run their own survey, which is all well and good. But then we get lots of pockets of information where they all ask different questions. They all ask it in a different way. And it's all done on only one institution. And that's not really useful if we're actually wanting to work out what, you know, what makes a difference for students across the board. So, And if I were to put my cynical hat on, which mm-hmm. very very seldom comes off, um, I would hazard a guess that that is by and large because universities know that that type of data is valuable to them, right? The university that cracks mm-hmm. student loneliness will then seek to be a very rich university because their students won't feel lonely. And mm-hmm. as we discussed, they'll have a much better time, right? And I feel like that, again, is really not in the nature of research research should be collaborative if if we had a national yeah. project as you suggest we'd probably not only find mm-hmm. answers quicker but be able to help a lot more people yeah definitely and i think it's where that's where the kind of competition and capitalism can come in the way of doing actual goods and open science and all these kind of new buzzwords that we're all working to um and it is, it's kind of funny because, you know, when we reach out to these universities, we're offering to do what they're, you know, paying people to do, but for free. So like, you know, like we're offering to share anonymized data, like a data set with them. Um, so they'll be able to see where their university kind of ranks uh, compared to other universities. Um, they won't be able to identify the other specific universities, but it'll give them a good idea. And so essentially we're doing what they're planning to do themselves but for free so they won't have to pay an in-house researcher so yeah it just feels a bit silly that they're pushing back like i understand why they are kind of like from their perspective but yeah i don't think it's what we need in order to move science forward and this research field forward because student mental health is still an area that is rapidly developing and yeah, I think in order to really move forward, we're going to have to get the universities to collaborate a bit more. And, I, and again, that overlaps with my work. I want to see like, if video games can help reduce that stigmatization and open up discussion about mental health. And mm-hmm. a colleague of mine, uh, Hope, you know, uh, she's working on like access to student mental health services and things like that online and looking at the digital, the way digital impact can be used to help uh, provide access and things like that. So, you know, there's there's such a need for it. Student mental health is, as I always like to put it, is in the toilet. And uh, we really should mm-hmm. try and sort that out as soon as possible. Uh, because ultimately, yeah. these horrifically burned out, child, like experiencing mental health challenges, 
students are going to be our next workforce and then you wonder why people are chronically burnt out and experiencing mental health challenges for a much longer period uh it, it's not so much chicken as egg as very much obvious progression of humans but this is all very very uh grim and very gray and we should be should be focusing on the good things like people like yourself actually doing this research that is seeking to try and make change and i think that is it's the stepping stone right you do this you publish it people pick it up that then can be used to perpetuate more research of that and we get we get that fixed term contract a little bit more permanent every time yeah, that's the goal <laughs> um yeah sorry yeah I, I always feel like i end up sounding so grumpy but I, I just i get very impassioned about trying to make change and that subsequently yeah. makes you sound grumpy when you're also an old man that happens. <laughs> we're um, not that old yet <laughs> i feel i feel it let me tell you i feel it yeah. um so you mentioned your personal tutor at the top of the show mm -hmm. and I, i'm curious I'm, I'm almost gonna veto them just because i like i like mm. to i like to challenge my guests a little bit um is there anyone that you'd like to give a shout out to who you think has been very like impactful or meaningful to, to your sort of career journey, life even? Um, just to real, really give a chance for them to receive a little bit of spotlight, a little bit of love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if I was to mention everyone, I think we might be here all day because like I've had the pleasure of working with so many amazing people. You know, we're kind of told that academia is, well, it is very, very, very competitive. Um, and, you know, everyone's kind of out to make, you know, we're told everyone's out to kind of publicize their own name. And it's, you know, this hyper competitive space. And to some respects it is, but I've been so like, you know, overjoyed with the amount of support that I've received, especially moving into this new role where, I'm doing a lot of things that I'd never done before. So like psychometric scale development, which is like where you make a, essentially like a questionnaire to measure something like, for example, belonging. Um, I want to point out so this never... benefit. It is far more complicated than that. And you've got to make sure that it's measuring what you want it to measure and internal validity and other science words, but it's not, it's not, you're doing yourself a disservice by making it sound that easy. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of lots of uh, stats behind it. But um, but yeah, essentially. Um, but that was all new to me. Um, because as I say, I came during my PhD, I came from the world of like behavioral experiments. Um, so totally, totally different ballpark. Um, and I've been met with so many like supportive people that are willing to like, you know, give me an hour of their time just to walk me through how to do something in our uh so like a computer programming language and even willing to like share their code, which, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't have imagined anyone doing that at PhD. Like I wrote all my, pretty much all my own code. Um, I, I was humbled by how like, yeah, how supportive people have been uh, in helping you kind of get started as an early career researcher. I thought there'd be a lot more like, you know, people kind of out for themselves because that's kind of what you're told when you start your research journey I, I don't know if it's people trying to warn you about academia and how competitive it can be but you know so far it's not always been the case there have been a few I suppose but mostly everyone's been very very inspirational you know 
um, in just wanting to be so supportive. And it's made me want to be supportive of other people too, you know, if I do have any skills that I can teach someone. I've already taught someone what I've learned about psychometric scale development. So, you know, flip the script and given something back to someone else. And I think that's honestly what we should be doing as scientists, kind of sharing knowledge and not trying to keep it for ourselves because that's going to make us more employable. Like, I mean, that's kind of, I think I'd be sad if that was my attitude to life, you know, um, being quite restrictive in like what I know and what I can do. I think things are much more happier when you do talk to people and you do share share your findings and your knowledge. No, I, I I think that's really really important. It's it's something I'm very passionate about myself. Um, I think I I re very much resonate with what you've said, and I was very lucky to kind of meet like the the people doing game studies. You know, there's not that many certainly that are in sort of like more senior level sort of positions. Um, and it was humbling to be sort of like welcomed in by those people mm -hmm. and included and and given opportunities. You know, and that all stems from like having an open attitude. And being willing to to get involved in meeting these people um but also the most important thing is is to then reach back down and lift someone else up you know don't just yes. stay on that plinth um and, and give back and i think that that's you know really really important and, and something that i certainly advocate for myself like you'll only be lonely mm -hmm. at the top if you don't bring anyone else there with you do you know what i mean that's so true um yeah and I've mentioned that I'm already a personal tutor and that was mainly like a big inspiration for that. So wanting to help other people navigate um, studying in academia. So, cause I remember it being a very high pressure struggle going through my own undergrad. So, you know, wanting to help people navigate that journey and know that they're not, you know, alone and there are skills and resources and support out there to help them. Um, to help them get through it um and previously and currently i'm also part of um women into stem initiatives so mentoring um young women to help them see that stem is an option and there are as i say skills and support resources out there to help them get where they need to be stem so, is unfortunately a very cis straight white able guy profession we need more mm -hmm. marginalized people in science. I mean, there's that old joke that psychology is typically done by white people for white people on white people with white people yeah. sort of thing, mm -hmm. you know, like that um, there is a lack of sort of diversity when it comes to studies. Because we, you know, we're talking shop again, apologies, but, you know, we talk about this whole uh, replication and, oh, how valid are these and effect sizes? But if, like, your entire population is white, is, can we really generalize when you allow for those broader sociological differences you know yeah definitely and i said that i kind of started my uh research career so like during the phd with kind of like a positivist perspective so um for anyone that doesn't know that's kind of kind of trying to make psychology a bit like physics so a tree is still a tree when we observe it regardless of whether or not we call it a tree psychology sometimes tries to do the same thing and by saying like if we're observing i don't know someone's anxiety that anxiety is going to be the same regardless of the fact that we're observing it um 
And I think we can't necessarily do that um, because as I, as I said before, people don't exist in vacuums. You know, the, the fact that you're observing someone and you're coming in as a researcher with your own kind of assumptions and values that will affect how you approach researching certain issues and how the participant responds to whatever measurements can tool or way that you're speaking to them. So I think it's something that we need to be mindful of, like where are our experiences influencing what we're, what we're learning about and also how does the context matter? So the specific kind of like way that the person is presenting whatever we're measuring, um, how do their experiences then interact with that? So I'm primarily a quantitative researcher and I'm very, I'm becoming more and more mindful that the numbers don't always tell the full story. And really when you're in a mental health space, particularly, you do need that qual. So um, the words, if, if, if people don't know, like quantitative, qualitative, so numbers are great, but sometimes you need like someone's actual experience. So just to sit them down and ask them, what does this actually mean for you? What does this look like? I was just about to say and apologize for sounding like a contrarian to be like, oh, which is why we need qualitative research because yeah. <laughs> it, it helps add a lot of that context and, and it's not faultless, you know, the way that is analyzed, mm -hmm. you still suffer a lot from the same research biases and if you're analyzing it, you're looking for things that other people might not notice or will notice and things. So, you know, we, we're in, I think we're in a good space for science. I think the boom of open science and People like yourself uh, and, you know, other people that are sort of getting their accreditation, you know, these past few years and going into their careers, you know, the, the cis straight white able guys can't live forever. They will retire eventually. <laughs> uh, and that means someone new will get to step into the fold and that will hopefully promote change throughout the academic system, which I think will only benefit the students studying at unis. I think, you know, my favorite memories of teaching were when, like, you could see that, it, that people couldn't get it. And you were like, okay, let me explain it this way. And you would see their brain go, oh, now I get it. That that was, you know, that's truly incredible. And I think we need those mm -hmm. broader, diverse people engaged at every level. Um, yeah, definitely. So to round, round off then, one of my sort of like final sort of questions uh, to get into is you're going to a biodome of your choice for a little bit of rest and relaxation, no work. Uh, and you can take with you one of the following. So you can take a book. Uh, an, an album, a TV slash film, box set, singular, whatever, and a game of any sort. Um, if it comes as a collection, I'll let you have that. I'm not, you know, it's not too restrictive. But where are you going and what are you taking? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm torn between, so where am I going? So I'm torn between, like, so I'm assuming I have, like, electricity isn't a problem oh everything everything will question. work you will have all of the immunity okay we're in fancy land <laughs> basically you're putting a fully functional and sustainable cabin in any biodome of your choice <laughs> nice nice um see i was gonna say like a forest because i really like walking in like national trusts you know um parks and uh nature reserves but i think at night that could be suddenly like you're in a horror uh, like in a horror film so maybe maybe i'll go basic and say like a nice beach a nice secluded beach um somewhere warm essentially i say as it's like 
just been raining here and it's all grey and horrible, as is England most of the can time. We, can we just talk about British weather at the moment? I mean, obviously we're recording this ahead of when it goes out, but like, we what happened to autumn? It was like it was like 20 the other weekend, then it dropped down at like mm-hmm. 11 with like lows of 5, then it's gone back up again to like 15. Can we just, what, like, climate yeah, change? Yeah, it hello? doesn't know what it's doing. Like, what I, I want to get my cardigans out. I want to stay snuggly and warm. And then, no, no, got to get the shorts back on because it's roasting outside again. Yeah, it's so confusing. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, somewhere somewhere with more consistent warm weather, probably. Love that. Maybe by the sea as well, because I think it's, like, quite relaxing listening to the ocean as well. So anything that anywhere that fits that description with, like, not many people around. Like, no one can harm my like my quiet space your space (laughs) um i mean you mentioned like a a boxer i mean um i always go back to parks and rec like if you haven't seen parks and recreation like that is like that is a comfort show always guaranteed to like make me laugh um it's probably that uh, if we're talking film then like i always love spirited away um and any like yeah any like studio ghibli film really but yeah um probably i'd probably bring my phone with like spotify and like all of my playlists but i suppose if i were to like narrow it down my comfort band is always fallout boy so like and it has been since i was a teenager so maybe like like do i have to like narrow it down to an album or can i just take my whole like i mean if i was if i was being pedantic you know there is a collection of all the albums on vinyl so you technically have access to all of them uh you know that is a good loophole (laughs) if it if it's sold as one box set i'm willing to give it to you so yeah, awesome. Do you, do you have a favourite Fall Out Boy album? I mean, I'm literally wearing a Fall Out Boy hoodie as we speak. Familiar listeners will know I'm a huge so fan jealous. of the band. <laughs> um, yeah, so we could have a whole um, extra podcast episode talking about my opinions of, of all the Fall Out Boy albums. I mean, we could, but like, think... a little psych to be with you is its own sub-series. We can make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> um, so if I were to narrow it down, and I've been asked before, so I think I think I have to give it to Folia Jew just because um, the lyrics are so like creative and it is kind of edgy a lot of the time. But and I think there's so many bangers in there that like it just wins out over like you know like Infinite on High is very good as well. But it's yeah, I think Folia Jew just tips it for me. So yep. Excellent. I'm going to listen to my emo music on the beach. <laughs> I mean, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do, do you have any opinion on the latest um, album? Came out this yeah, year. Yeah, so, so I haven't... Okay, so no one hate me, but I haven't really liked a lot of their post-hiatus stuff. I, I preferred more of like the pre-hiatus stuff, but this new album's pretty good. You know, I wasn't I wasn't totally sold at first, and I think that's because I was clinging on to the pre-hiatus stuff. And I was still a bit grumpy, um, but no, I like this one. You know, this one's good. It made it into my Spotify uh, favorites playlist. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm inclined to. I mean, I think Save Rock and Roll was very like picked up where they left off with like very good production, good features. Uh, ABAP mm-hmm. and Mania definitely had that more like electronic feel, and I think they were very aware of that. 
like because because they yeah. like to have like a gimmick for each album right it's like abap is just like samples mm-hmm. like you know they have like the monster theme tune in one of them mm-hmm. things like that like mainly it was what it was you know they they tried something new yeah. couple of bangers on there you know i think they realized that didn't necessarily work and i feel like this so much for stardust there's a much more of a return to form i think it captures a lot of what yeah the old stuff great definitely and i think that's why i liked it so much because it was quite similar to the stuff the stuff that i really liked pre-hiatus um yeah and as someone that usually leans more towards like rock and metal um aside from like you know fallout boy um I didn't really like Mania, I think, because it was, like, electronic, and that's not really my vibe. Um, but, yeah, I like the new album, and I hope they kind of continue going in this direction. Yeah. Um, and a game. Yeah, so, gosh, a game. I definitely take a game, that's for sure. But narrowing it down is quite difficult. Um you know, if I'm going to be on an, an on a deserted island where it's only me, I think I'm going to take um, New Horizons Animal Crossing and just like, you know, when I'm not sat on the beach, I'll be sat on the fake beach with my animal friends and just having a great time. <laughs> People seem to really take it one of two ways and either go, I can play this forever or I can replay this <laughs> forever <laughs> or like, or... I haven't finished this yet and I want to. <laughs> They're the three kind of lanes mm-hmm. people go for. Um, Animal Crossings is a solid shout, though. Very good. Yeah, and it's kind of nostalgic for me as well because I played Wild World back in the day, which was like, um, gosh, it came out for the DS when I was like in primary school, I think. You know, all those years ago. I mean, um, let, me, let me move my walking stick, but I actually played the original Animal Crossings on GameCube. Oh, wow. When it would take up a whole memory card. Just to save your game. <laughs> We've come a long way. <laughs> we have come a long way. We have come. I mean, DLC. Whoa, download content, mm-hmm. like additional stuff. You can farm on it. I have. I played it like during twenty twenty. I was alternating between that and Final Fantasy Seven Remake. Put a hundred hours into it. Got a five star island and just went right and done because there is too many games in the backlog. Mm-hmm. So I haven't actually picked it up like post um, DLC. Like I've, I don't think I've ever done any of the swimming. Mm. And it's like, I know it's yeah. there to go back to, but by the time I want to go back to it, there'll probably be another one. Yeah. You see, I think it's partly the nostalgia that keeps making me pick it up every so many weeks because like, I have the same villagers that I had when I was a kid. Ooh. And that's like, I didn't pick them to be. They just like, they showed up on my island. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it was like an old friend. Um, so I feel a bit bad because I kind of guilt you when you don't go on it for a while. Like, where have you been? Oh no. Um, so I, I try and check in. It only takes about 20 minutes to, you know, say hi to everyone. Um, and it's like, it's a nice little, like almost mental health break as well. Um, just checking in with some old pals, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds great. So just to, just to reiterate, we'll go, we'll go back through those. Um, so TV show, you would go Parks and Rec slash Spirit that away. Mm-hmm. Parks and Rec, big yeah. fan of the Mike Shoreverse, big fan of that as a whole. Um, so okay, cool. Fallout Boy, cut uh, CD collection. We'll give you all the albums. I'm happy with that. Mm-hmm. Animal Crossing: New Horizons, solid shout. And then a book. Mm-hmm. Take anything to read. Yeah, so I've I've already read this book, and I read it before it got 
picked up by Amazon and made into like a TV series. Um, but I really enjoyed Good Omens. It's a really good book. I mean, I like anything um, by Terry Pratchett. So yeah, so it's written by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman working together. Um, and it, it was really fun. I think I like anything a little bit fantasy and a little bit a little bit wacky, a little bit out of the box. So, yeah, uh, the TV I'd show recommend... stars David Tennant, right? It does, yeah. Big fan of David Tennant. Yeah. How can you not like him? Yeah, absolutely. I haven't really kept up with the TV show though. Um, but yeah, I I'm wondering how they continued on after the book though, because obviously there was only one book that was written like years and years and years ago. But um. In in yeah. my in my sincere experience, a lot of the time when they start deviating from the source material, you do notice a decline in quality. Um, that was my worry as well, and maybe why I haven't like, checked in. <laughs> seeing that with like Handmaid's Tale, you you knew as soon as they stopped following the book material. Oof. Do not say do not say that name to me. I had to. So I know everyone loves Handmaid's Tale, and like. I agree, like amazing way of looking at like important issues, important themes. But I had to study that book at GCSE for four years. So it's almost like a like a like a trigger thing, like, oh no, can't hear that name again. I think I for so me I, for me personally, I think it's a bit like it's a bit overrated. I, I quite like Margaret Atwood, mm. but like the Mad Adam trilogy, Oryx and Crake, mm. vastly superior in my opinion. If you like your dystopia, um, that's me. Yeah, come come for me I mean, in the YouTube comments. You know, <laughs> I feel like I almost can't have an objective opinion on Handmaid's Tale after having to like read it for for four years. And our teacher, we had this one teacher that would keep forgetting what chapter we were on. So for like about four weeks, we kept going over the same chapter, and she wouldn't agree. Like she wouldn't hear us out when we told her that we'd already read this. <laughs> And like, so um, I I like sci-fi dystopia as much as the next person, but like rereading and rereading *The Handmaid's Tale* is in of itself a type of Orwellian dystopia. Like, yeah, <laughs> it really was. So I have like, I guess, a bit of trauma to it whenever someone brings it up and like, oh, have you seen the series? It's like I physically can't. <laughs> very much drops off after they leave the books behind, and you you very much tell when it is. Um, uh, so I mean, yeah, how, how did how did Good Omens <laughs> stack up to the book? When you being a fan of it, yeah. So yeah, they did a pretty good job. Yeah, I mean, I think I preferred the book, but I mean, David Tennant always does a great job. So mm -hmm. okay, well, I mean, it's it's okay to like both. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the book yeah. generally is better. I found that with like things like The Witcher. You know, like it generally mm -hmm. tends to be the way. Um, you know, things like Game of Thrones as well. The books think much more enjoyable, purely because mm -hmm. um, you just get a lot more context, and you'll find that context is really quite necessary when significant plot points happen. Yeah, definitely. You can get a lot more extra detail in a book, and kind of have longer to process certain things and have a think about it, and and yeah, and get more involved in the world as well. I mean, you're watching something, I you think. Know, looking at you, Tolkien, we don't need three pages describing a tree. Not quite. But <laughs> yeah, it I can don't. go a bit too much the other way. <laughs> um, okay, so that's sort of all of my usual uh, listed questions. Um, I like to ask before we sort of round out the episode, do you have any questions for me? 
I've been asked a biodome mm-hmm. question and how my PhD is going several times, so please don't ask those. <laughs> I'm sure you'll appreciate you, yeah. t- you don't ask a PhD person how their research is going or when they're due to finish. Never. Never. <laughs> yeah, so I think I want to know if if you could invite anyone onto your podcast, like any podcast guest, who would it be and why? That's a good one. Um, you know, I've had a few like I've I've said I've I've asked before like I've always said someone like be Dave Walters TTRPG performer would be great. I'd also love to sit down and chat with someone like Stephen Fry. That would be a great conversation to have. Um, uh, Matt Mercer as well uh, from Critical Role, obviously recently announced as the uh, voice of Vincent Ballantyne in Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Um, so I think you know people like that. I think, in a weird way, I almost like I don't know. I wouldn't want to have like a massive, massive like superstar celebrity. I think I would, I would struggle to keep up my form as a host, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, uh, you know, Jurgen Klopp or someone. I feel like I wouldn't know what to say. I, I, I would ruin the episode myself. Not to put a mark against uh, the other people that I, I named, but I just think like I, I feel like I would be in order of them to a degree that I could still make the episode happen. Um, which is probably, yeah. it's a bit of a weak handshake of an answer, I guess. Um, no, no, it makes sense. I'm just I'm just imagining, like, those big-name people's, like, PR team, like, you know, about to click send on the email to, like, invite, invite them on the podcast to be like, oh, never mind. He said he doesn't want to speak to big-name <laughs> celebrity. I, I mean, I, I would be willing to take on the challenge. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think, one of the things I, you know, there's a whole bunch of podcasts that you can choose to listen to. And what I try and capture with mine is not just talking about what you do, but why you do it. What got you there? What mm-hmm. is it that motivates you? What keeps you going? And I feel like, you know, generally speaking, those are the kind of notes that come out. Um, and I think it would be cool to find out how those people kind of tick and what keeps them motivated, you know? But I also find that, like, you know, even with all the people I've named, they've, they've done several interviews and podcasts before. You probably can drift through that information through various sources but obviously i also like tooting my own horn and speaking to them as well mm-hmm. there we go um yes that is my answer several people that i would probably never get on the show never say never you never know <laughs> you never know it's, it's like if you played degrees of separation you could maybe maybe make it happen you know what i mean but mm-hmm. um i try and be amenable to, to work around my guests and just have a nice chat i'm saying this on my own show as if like if you've listened to five minutes of the show you wouldn't know this anyway anywho <laughs> anywho as we wrap up where where is it best for guests to find you all the links will be attached to if you found this episode but where where shall people go to follow you your journey your work etc Yep, the best place to find me is on Twitter or X or whatever Elon calls it nowadays. Um, and my Twitter handle is Hannah R. Slack. I think it's it's below me uh, on the screen. On the video. If you're, yeah. if you're watching. Yeah. Um, and if you want to keep up with the work that I'm doing at the minute on the You Belong project, so looking at student uh, loneliness in the transition to starting university, um you can also follow the you belong project uh on twitter so that's its handle just you belong project um because we'll be posting updates there as well lovely um anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up 
it's thanks for having me. Thanks um, for speaking to me for this time. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and yeah. Well, I'm pleased. Thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. Uh, all that remains for me to do for listeners and viewers alike is just say thank you for listening. As we always say on this show, look after your mind, body, and soul. And I'll see you again next time. Until then, bye-bye. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Psyched to be with you. I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did. If you did, do please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really helps. Uh, Otherwise, check out the description of the episode for the links for the guest, but also uh, to keep up with information about the show and myself. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed this listen. Uh, Until next time, take it easy. Look after your mind, body, and soul, and I'll see you again for another episode very, very soon. Bye-bye.